call this morning comes from Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Praise the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us respond to God's call to praise him by praising him, beginning with the Gloria Patri. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, 570, and then we'll be turning into 230, reminding ourselves of the holiness of God that we have entered into. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty.
acknowledge that you are holy. You are holy. You are holy. Thrice holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you that we have the privilege of approaching you. We're reminded of Isaiah, who was given that privilege to approach the Holy God. We pray that you would do that work in our hearts, that we would examine ourselves, as Isaiah did, to confess our sins and to look for forgiveness, not from a coal from the altar, but what it represented through the blood of Jesus Christ shed once for all for the remission of our sins. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would enable us now, as your redeemed children, as your people, that we would come into Zion with singing and everlasting joy would be on our heads. We thank you, O Lord, that you also are doing the work of making us trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that you may be glorified. And so we pray, O Lord, for not only uh, the renewal of our relationship with you, the, the, the forsaking of sin, the consecration uh, to your service, but also that you would water us through your water, that we would grow, that we would produce fruit, that we, it would remain. And so we ask, O oh Lord, for your blessing once again to be a blessing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The Lord calls us to confess our sins and we will do that this morning with a responsive reading found in your bulletin. And the scripture reading comes from Isaiah 59, verses 12 through 20. I'll read the light type if you could respond in the dark. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord... And departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wandered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness it sustained him. For he puts on the righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands he will fully repay. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun, when the enemy comes in like a flood, 
The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion, and those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we understand this passage, especially verse 12. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. You call us to argue for the greatness of our sins. There we see it. Our sins are multiplied. Our transgressions are with us. We know that we have offended you. For all sin is a personal offense to a holy God. And we have sinned against our holy Father who art in heaven. Holy is your person and work. And so we do come to you once again. Humble ourselves as Isaiah did. Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips because I have seen the Lord of hosts. And so, Lord, we do also join in that, yes, we are not only unclean lips, but unclean heart. That we have sinned against you in multitude of ways. Many of them, many of those sins, we don't even know. Some, they are secret to us. Some we know, and yet you know them all. And you must punish sin. And so we understand that we deserve your wrath and curse. The wages of sin, our sin is death. And so we do, but we don't ignore the fact or minimize or deny that we've offended you, that we've sinned, but we confess these things. In doing so, we're just agreeing with you, which you're already pointing out to us through your spirit and word. And so we do come to you, Father. We acknowledge our transgressions. They're always before you. But we also look to your mercy. We don't get what we deserve because Jesus took it upon himself. We thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ. Name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So we look to Jesus. We look to Christ, our Messiah, our Lord, our Savior, our everything. Thank you, Lord Jesus that you came and that you suffered body and soul both on the cross and before in our place. You became sin. You took upon yourself the curse that lay upon us that we might be made the righteousness of God in you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for pouring out your life, shedding your blood. It is that through which our sins are covered, washed away, forgiven. So we thank you for the forgiveness we have in Christ. And we pray that you would enable us to walk in thankfulness, walk in holiness, walk and conduct our lives in a way that would be pleasing to you. For we are accepted in the Beloved. and We have boldness to enter into your throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. And so we pray that you would bless us 
with that forgiveness and the knowledge of it that we may freely worship you, celebrate with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, that we are reconciled to you through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So let us do so. Let us raise our voices to, dis- to celebrate the love of God, uh, how deep the Father's love for us that he would send his only begotten Son. So it's hymn number 351 in our hymnal. And let us stand and celebrate the love of God. Page number 852. So we have opportunity not only to confess our sins and to find forgiveness in Christ, but also to confess our faith before the world. To confess the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
So, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who, for us men, and for our salvation, came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And just to, um, to mention that one baptism for the remission of sins is ultimately the baptism of Jesus. That is what removes our sins. Baptism, physical baptism, our baptism points to what Jesus did. It is his righteousness. It is his sufferings. Amen? Amen. Let us also today take up this small little half sheet in the bulletin. We are continuing to work our way through the Canons of Dort, the fifth head of doctrine. We are now in the perseverance of the saints. And again, I like to say it this way. The perseverance of God for the saints. So Articles 5 and 6. Article 5 I'll read, and Article 6 please read. By such enormous sins, however, they, were, they very highly offend God, incur, incur a deadly guilt. Grieve the Holy Spirit. Interrupt the exercise of faith. Very grievously wound their consciences. And sometimes, for a while, lose the sense of God's favor. Until, when they change their course by serious repentance, the light of God's fatherly countenance again shines upon them. But God, who is rich in mercy, according to his unchangeable purpose of election, does not wholly withdraw the Holy Spirit from his own people, even in their grievous falls, 
nor suffers them to proceed so far as to lose the grace of adoption and forfeit the state of justification, or to commit the sin unto death or against the Holy Spirit, nor does he permit them to be totally deserted and to plunge themselves into everlasting destruction. All right. A lot of negatives there on that second part, things that he he doesn't allow to happen. Last Sunday, we looked at Article 4, and as we looked at it, the uh, emphasis was our need to watch or be on the alert and pray. As a matter of fact, uh, my message to David on Friday night, his charge was, guess what? Watch and pray. But that's not just for the pastor, although it does include him. But it's for all of us. We're to guard our hearts, Proverbs says, for out of it come all the issues of life. We're to guard the truth. We're to watch. We're to guard. We're to be on the alert. We are at war. There is a war going on, and it's a war for our souls. It's a war for uh, the victory of the wicked one. But we know that the victory is already accomplished in Christ. But there's still a war going on. Watch and pray that you enter not in temptation. Where's that? Is that in the Bible? Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Who said that? Anybody know? Jesus said it. To who? One of my favorite apostles. Peter. Why? Because he fell asleep while Jesus is praying in the garden. And he says, watch and pray. So we're called to do so. When we don't do these things, we fall into sin. That's what Article 5 is talking about. Notice it. What is the consequence of sin? And the first, I think, is the most important. You hear that? Our sins, they're enormous, and they very highly offend God. And I've said this before, actually, in the prayer today, right? We talked about it. It's a personal offense. It's slapping him in the face. So it isn't just breaking the law. It's offending the person, which is, I think, the most serious. Like he says, very highly. I mean, that's an understatement. I think it's extremely Offensive to God. As, Paul, as uh, David said in Psalm 51, Against you, you only have I sinned. Now wait a second, David. Don't you understand? You murdered Uriah. You committed adultery with Bathsheba. And yet your confession of that. And you hid it for a year. And yet you said, against you, you only have I sinned. Well, what about them? Well, yes, he sinned against them as well. But the issue is separation from God. As Scripture says, our sins separate us from God. But furthermore, it goes on to say that we gain or we uh, incur a deadly guilt. It's not just guilt, but a deadly guilt. A guilt that points to death. Separation from God, separation from life. Wages of sin is death. They go on to say, 
It grieves the Holy Spirit. Do you ever stop and think about that? That the Holy Spirit is with me at all times, right? And when I sin, Holy Spirit's offended. Again, He's holy. Sin is the opposite of holy. We're called to be holy. His holy name is upon us. And yet we sin and offend the Spirit of God. Isaiah chapter 63, verses 9 and 10 say it this way. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his compassion, he redeemed them. He bore them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people, saying, Where is he who brought them up out of the sea? Where is the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit within them? And he goes on to say he shows mercy. So they greet the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of promise. How do we do so? By our sin. And they go on to say, It also interrupts, sin interrupts, our exercise of faith, as it says. It interrupts the exercise of faith, grievously wounds their conscience, and so on. We, in a sense, experience or feel the loss of God's favor. And so what is there, what's the solution in our, in our text? What's the solution in the scriptures? Have you ever heard that phrase? Serious repentance. Isn't that an interesting way to call it? Repentance. Is there a repentance that's not serious? Is there? Is there, a, is there a, did, did Judas, after he betrayed the Savior, did he repent of the, was it a serious, godly repentance? No. He went out and hung himself. He was sorry, but it wasn't a godly sorrow. It was a sorrow that led to death. No, uh, there we're talking about a godly sorrow. What does the catechism say? Heartfelt sorrow for sin, causing us to hate it and turn from it always more and more. It is a horror when we realize how bad our sins are, how great, offensive our sins are. It should impact us because we have offended our Father. But yet, notice in Article 6, what, what is the quote there? It doesn't say the quote. There's no footnote there. But God is rich in his mercy. Where, where, where have we heard that? Did we hear that two weeks ago? Did we read it last week? Is that in Ephesians chapter 2? But God, verse 4, on the contrary, God, who is rich in mercy with which his great love with which he loved us while we were yet dead in sins, trespasses, made us alive. By grace you've been saved, through faith. Not of yourself is the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. That love includes that his unchangeable purpose of election, as it says. 
So in the midst of the conviction and the fear of sin, we have comfort in the sovereign grace of God. Not in our works, not even in our repentance, but in God. When I, I gave the charge to David, I'm going to use this and I'll wrap up. I gave the charge to David in, uh, Friday to being a pastor, and I started off by saying to him, David, just want to let you know you're going to be a complete failure in the ministry. You're going to be frustrated, discouraged, despairing. As one pastor said, I go through that cycle so often I can set my watch to it. But, God, he's rich in his mercy. He does not wholly withdraw his Holy Spirit from his people. He may suffer us to proceed only so far, but we don't lose the grace of adoption or forfeit the state of justification. And it goes on. There's our conviction. But it's a conviction of Sin, and then a conviction of faith in the grace of God. And so the catechism begins with what? How great my, someone, great my sin and misery is. And then secondly, how I am redeemed from all my sin and misery through Jesus Christ. And then what's my response? How I'm to be thankful to God for such redemption. Amen? Is that the gospel? That is the gospel. Praise God for his amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amen? Amen. All right, let us respond and prepare at the same time. Um, Hymn number 171. Uh, We are desirous to hear... God speaking through his word, and so let us turn to 171, O word of God incarnate. So let us stand sing.
And turn in your Bibles to our text this morning. We are continuing on in the letter of the Apostle Paul and ultimately of God to the church in Ephesus and to us. And so Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 11. Hear now the word of God. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace, to you who are afar off, and to those who are near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, again we are confronted with such a glorious revelation of both our need and your grace. Though looking at it from another perspective as uh, we have in verses 1 through 10, Yet, it is so powerful. There's so much here that needs to be considered in so little time. So we ask, O Lord, that you would grant the ability to hear and the preacher the ability to preach your word. That we would hear with ears that are open, ears opened by the Spirit of God. Enable us, O Lord, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today through your word. 
And we pray also that you would open our hearts, that this word would be planted in, that we wouldn't forget it, but that it would bring forth fruit for your glory. Fruit of the Spirit, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Scriptures talk about the power of darkness. Power of darkness. Paul in particular said, we were once in the kingdom of darkness. We're born in the kingdom of darkness. The rule, the the magistrate, the authority, the jurisdiction, the mastery of the devil. You were once. We all were once in the kingdom of darkness. Under the power of darkness. And thus there is a war going on. A war with God, against God, right? All around us is a war against God. We see evidence of it, but it's everywhere. There is that sense of warfare. We see it on different levels. Sometimes it's obvious. You ever had that situation where you, oh, I know the devil's involved in this situation right now. Divide and conquer, right? Sometimes it's pretty obvious. But sometimes it's very subtle, the warfare that we fight. But all the time, it's deadly. Separation, alienation from God, whose life, it is deadly. And so Paul here in this letter speaks about that deadliness, that alienation, and then brings us to that glorious truth of reconciliation. That we are reconciled to God. We were alienated uh, from God from birth, And through our life, and now, praise the Lord, we are reconciled to God. What is more important than that? Think about it. What's more important in life? Is there anything? Money? Fame? Acceptance by men? Is there anything more important than being reconciled to God? I'm glad you're shaking your head no. Nothing. Without that, what do you have? You have death, eternal destruction from the presence of the Lord. What can a man gain in the world apart from Christ? Nothing. That's what Paul starts off with. And then he celebrates what Christ has done. And so the outline is there. Reconciled to God. What is more important? Nothing without God. All life is meaningless. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. All praise be to God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And here's a privilege we've been given, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, 
and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We've been, in, we've been entrusted with a word that brings warring parties together. We've been called to be peacemakers through our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel. He brings warring parties, God and man, together. He does, but he does it through us. You ever thought of yourself as a peacemaker? You're called to be an instrument of peace. We, united as the church, are called and empowered to be servants of reconciliation in a world at war with God, which is what I started with. Okay, with that in mind, let us consider again, uh, if you remember, what is this letter about? If you were to summarize this letter in one word, it would be, anybody been listening? It's a letter of? Thank you. It's a letter of grace. Okay. I will ask you that next week or sometime. What is this book about? What's the name of the church? Grace. Help. Okay. All right. It's a letter of grace. So what did we see? We saw in chapter 1 um, all the way through verse 14, the great blessings, the grace of God, all the blessings we have in Christ. And then secondly, the great purpose and power of God in verses 15 through 23. And then we came to uh, chapter 2, the great need we have in Adam that God shows. By grace you have been saved through faith. And now we come to the great need again as Gentiles. We're all Gentiles. Was Abraham a Gentile when he was an Ur of the Chaldeans? Was he uncircum- when he was uncircumcised, was he considered a Gentile? Was he a Goy? And the answer is yes. He was a Gentile. We all were. We're all, anybody here Jewish? Nobody, nobody here. Okay. We're all Gentiles. Here, the great need that we have as Gentiles. And so we'll just do this, try to do this pretty quick. Look back at this verse. Notice what he says in verse 11. Therefore, because of what I just said in chapters 1 through 10, you are God's workmanship created into Christ Jesus beforehand that we should conduct our lives, walk in them. Verse 10, therefore, remember, remember, what? That you were once Gentiles in the flesh. So he's just spent this time talking about the glorious gospel and that we're redeemed and that we are his work of art. And then he says, but you need to remember, don't forget, bring to mind again what you were. Why? Why be so negative, Paul? Why don't we just go on? Because we need to hear it. That's my best answer to that question is because I guess we need to hear it again to be able to be appreciative of what God has done. So, remember. So what is it that he says we're to remember? Number one, we're Gentiles in the flesh. We were Gentiles in the flesh. We were living in the corruption of our nature 
the Gentiles were looked upon by the Jews as unclean, sep- separated from God. And isn't that what he's talking about? Separation, alienation from God. Gentiles were morally corrupt, or you could use the word wicked. Were you wicked? Were you wicked before Christ came into your life? Was that, would, that, would that be God's definition of you? Hard to hear, right? Oh, I, I may be a bad person, but I'm not wicked. <laughs> well, that's the designation of a Gentile, was a wicked person, separated from God. Notice, furthermore, uncircumcised. In other words, without God's ordained mark of distinction. You did not belong to the people of God. And again, you're unholy. You are separate. In other words, uncircumcision was a sign of ex... I uh, um, uh, can't even say the word. Ex, in estrangement, thank you. From God. Also a term of derision by the Jews. You're a loser because you're uncircumcised. You're out there. You're a dog. You're unclean. That's kind of hard to hear, right? But here's the one that really strikes me. Without Christ. Without hope. Without the messianic hope, without a purposeful destiny, without atonement and redemption, without access to God. That's what he says. Christ is our only mediator and redeemer. If you're without Christ, you're without a mediator, you're without a redeemer, you're outside. Without Christ, to be cursed. He goes on to say, you're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Did you know you're an alien in Adam? A strange thought. We're not talking about aliens, but we're talking about aliens from the covenant people of God. In other words, you are without the rights of citizenship in the kingdom of God, in the church. They and we did not belong to Christ's church. They and we did not enjoy the privileges of Christ's church, communion, community, fellowship, and so on. They, we did not belong. Though we were, many of us, born and raised in the church, we were aliens. We were without a home. We were strangers. From the covenants of promise. The covenants that were made with Abraham. Genesis 12, 15, 17. Covenants made with Isaac. Genesis 26. Jacob. Genesis 28. Or Israel. Exodus 19 as a nation. Or Exodus 24. David. For Second Samuel 7. All of those covenants we had nothing to do with. We were totally separated from. No promise we could cling to. No word from God is another way of saying it. Having no hope for the future because we had no Messiah, we had no commonwealth, we had no promises. 
We had no resurrection promises except for destruction. We we're hopeless in Adam. And he goes on to say, without God in the world or without the true God, God had forsaken Adam and his children, including us. Without a knowledge or relationship with the true God, left with a vain worship of false gods. That's what Paul is saying. Pretty, pretty dark, isn't it? Again, like I said last time when we got to chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 3, he paints a very dark picture. Or black velvet. Right? It's a bad, bad situation that we were in in Adam. Remember, is what he says. Why? Why do I want to think about that? That's really a bummer. That's really depressing, Pastor. Why did you do that to us? Well, because Paul did it to them and us. We need to hear this, I guess. Why? Notice again, exciting. I think it's exciting. Verse 13, what does he say? But now... Where have I heard that before? But now. But God. Where have I heard that before? Well, that's what he did in verse 4, right? He painted that black picture. We, we're dead in trespasses and sins. He went on and then he said, but, but God is rich in mercy. What does he do this here? But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Exactly. I think that's part of the motivation here, is that we would say, thank you, Jesus. Right? But now, well, that was what you were in Adam. If I'm not in Adam anymore, and now I'm in Christ Jesus, I'm reconciled to God, and I have peace with God and with his children. But now, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jesus is the Prince of Peace for me. He's my Prince of Peace. He's your Prince of Peace. He is the one who brings us back together with God. That's what Paul is saying here. Beginning in verse 13. Notice verse 14. For he himself is our peace. He is our peace. Do you have peace with God? Only if you have Jesus, is what he's saying. Are you in Christ Jesus? Is everybody born in Christ Jesus? No, we're all born, help me, in Adam. How do you become in Christ Jesus. You believe the gospel. You're born again by the Spirit of God. He grants you faith and you believe the gospel. And you are reconciled. He is our peace. Who has made both one. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. He's brought us all together as one in Christ. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. So you can claim, if you're in Christ, that I'm a Jew. I'm a praise unto God. That's what the word means. 
Abraham's my father. Paul says that to the Gentiles and Galatians. He heard the gospel, he believed, and we're related to Abraham by faith. He separated that. So I'm no longer a goy. I'm no longer a Gentile in God's eyes. I belong to the covenant people of God. And so are you. That's what he's saying. Having abolished, verse 15, in his flesh the enmity that is a law of commandments contained therein, uh, so as to create, notice that, in himself, in Christ, one new man from the two, thus making peace. One new man in Christ. We are one in Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the new creation, new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He has removed what happened at the cross, what happened to the curtain in the temple, the, the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened to that curtain? It was torn. Was it torn bottom to top or top to bottom? Top to bottom. What does that symbolize? It is God who's removing the separation. Can you imagine being a priest in that holy place at that moment when that veil is ripped in two and now there's no longer a distinction between the holy of holies and the holy place And if you don't come into the Holy of Holies the right way, you die. All of a sudden now, there's access into the very holy presence of God. Isaiah 6. That's what we experience in Christ. That wall of separation, that curtain of the temple has been rent. The wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple was removed. We have access. We have boldness. We can come into the Holy of Holies with boldness and ask for help. I don't know if you realize how important or what a blessing. The Jews didn't have that. The typical Jewish believer in the Old Testament could not go into the temple, could not go into the Holy of Holies. The priests could not go into the Holy Even the high priest could not go into the Holy of Holies except for once a year with blood sprinkling as he's going. But we have access into the heavenlies, into the holy presence of God. Notice in verse 15 and 16, having abolished in his flesh that enmity, the warfare. Again, verse 16, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Warfare. Where did the warfare start? God started in the garden because of the fall. I said enmity. When did the enmity stop with you and God? When Jesus died on the cross for your sins when it was applied to you by the Holy Spirit, when you believed. He abolished it in his flesh. He has made peace. Praise the Lord. 
And so what does it say, say, says about Jesus? He came, verse 17, and preached peace to whom? To you who were afar off and to those that are near. We both need that peace of the cross. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Check that out. Is the Trinity mentioned there? The word Trinity mentioned in verse 18? No. Is the Trinity mentioned there? In verse 18. I'll read it again. For through Jesus, we have access by one Spirit to the Father. Triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have access. We have the Spirit living with us. We have access. We can pray, Abba, Father. We can pray, our Father who art in heaven. And he hears us. He says, yes, my son. Yes, my daughter. Is that our privilege? We're reconciled to the Father through the Spirit by the Son is what he's saying. What a great privilege that we have. And notice that it is a necessity. It is if we love God and we love our neighbor, do we want them to experience the same thing we have? I don't really care if they go to heaven or hell. Is that a frightening thought? Is, is that an attitude that we have? Oh, it's me and Jesus. Okay, I'm good to go. But I don't really care about anybody else. Now, I know your, your thought is, oh, perish the thought. That's just really wrong, right? But do we fall into that? Do we? Do you care about the eternal state of the people you come into contact with. You pray, at least pray for them. Lord, have mercy on their soul. I especially pray for them, a person that cuts me off, you know, I'm driving along and someone cuts in front of me and I can usually say things that I don't want to really say. What do I normally say? God, have mercy on their soul because if they drive like that, they're going to die. And so please have mercy on their soul. Do you pray for the mercy, God's mercy upon those that are in Adam? Your family members, co-workers, is that something we should do? Are we called to be peacemakers? The most important peace is peace with God. So there we see the preaching of peace. Jesus came and preached peace to you. Okay. You made it through it. All right. Through Christ, reconciled to God and at peace with God and his children. My third point, and that's verses 19 through 22. I thought for sure that I wasn't going to get this far within the time. I was going to have to stop at this time, but I'm going to press on. We're down to about four verses. I feel bad because I'm not really developing this very well, but please forgive me. Third point. In Christ, we have unity and growth. But notice the growth of what? The dwelling place of God. It talks about the church, the people of God as a building. But it's a building that grows. There's an organic nature to it. It grows like our physical body grows. Again, listen to that. In whom, verse 21, the whole body being fitted together grows 
into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Peter says we're living stones in the temple of God. Lively stones, but living stones. So in Christ, there's a unity. It's a building. We are intimately united to God through Jesus Christ, and we are united with one another. And notice how he says that. Verse 19. Now, again, so, so it was you, uh, once, but now, and now we come to verse 19. Now, now therefore... You are no longer strangers and foreigners. What did he say earlier? We were strangers and foreigners in Adam, but that's not you anymore. That's not your identity. Your your identity is not your sin. Your identity is Christ. Now that that being said, but now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You have a new identity. Who are you? I belong to Jesus. I belong to the family of God. God is my father. I am his son and daughter. He's adopted me. He claims me as his own. That's my identity. I'm a saint. I'm I'm a set-apart one, holy for God. Isn't that what he's saying? Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone... There, I believe he's talking about the Bible, isn't he? The apostles and prophets, what did they give to, what did the Lord use them to be that foundation? Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. We all, all the church is built upon the word of God and especially Jesus Christ. So, let's get into application. And in order to really develop application, we'll be doing that, chapters 4 through 6 in his letter. So, but let's stop with that first. There's only one command in this whole passage, and that is the word remember, verse 11. Remember. In other words, understand. Remember, understand. Believe it. Receive it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said, and you shall be saved. Is that just a temporary or... a or is there a continuing salvation or sanctification that's going on in your life? We're saved by faith, and that's a once for only, but is there a continuing work of the Spirit in our lives making us more like Jesus? And that is also salvation, right? We are saved, we are being, you know, uh, we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Does that sound weird? If anybody has a problem with that, confusing as it sounds, Come see me. Paul talks that language, uses that language, about being saved. Yet he says he's saved. He's being saved. Anyways, okay, theological concept. If you have a problem with it, come talk to me. How about this one? Rejoice in Christ, the Prince of Peace. Is that a good, good thing to do? Good way to respond. Thank you, Jesus, for being my, my, my peace, for being the Prince of Peace, one that can reconcile me 
with those that I am unreconciled with. Do you have anybody that you're unreconciled with? He's the prince of peace, the reconciler. And so he commands us in chapter 4, verse 3, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Guard, promote that unity. It reflects the peace we have with God and the peace we have with one another. In verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, Use your gifts to grow up, to mature. In verses 17 through 20, he says again, he'll come back and say, Now don't walk like you when you were a Gentile. Don't walk like the Gentiles. Don't conduct your life like the Gentiles. Put off that and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. These are different ways of saying thank you to God, of walking in that unity. Now here's a question. Can you do this in your own strength? I can do it. I remember our young, our young children when they were little, like some of these, I can do it. I can do that. Did Paul ever say, I can do it? Through Christ who strengthens me? I can do what? All things. Through Christ. Can I do all things by myself? No. Right? Who gets the glory? Christ does, right? If I'm doing something and Christ is doing it through me. This was the message I gave to David at his ordination charge. You're going to be a complete failure in the ministry. But, through Christ, well, here's the amazing thing, and I'll bring it. I almost lost it during that message, and I hope I don't lose it now. But it is my prayer for you, as I said for David, on that day, when we stand before Christ, what do you want to hear him say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But, but Jesus, I failed you. I failed you in keeping all of this. I failed you miserably throughout my life. I've sinned many times. I, am, I, I don't deserve. But he says, well done. Good and faithful servant. It's, and what does the catechism say? The reward comes not of merit, but of grace. It is Christ working through you, in you, and through you, that he gets glorified. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do come to you, and we thank you for that promise. Yes, as we examine ourselves, and we've seen what we are in Adam, and also we rejoice in who we are in Christ, And now we are called to remember and to rejoice and to walk in who we are in Christ. We are reminded that we will fail. And yet, in Christ, we are accepted. And through Christ, we can overcome for your glory and purpose. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would enable us to appreciate what we are, what we have, 
and to share it with others and to live it in front of all. Do that work, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings. Father in heaven, we do come before you, committing again these tithes and offerings as a way of expressing our thankfulness to the reconciliation we have in Christ and your abiding presence and blessings and callings and all. And so we pray that you would bless uh, the use of these, uh, the management of these resources, and also, again, the management of all resources you've given to us, life and breath and all things. Help us, O Lord, to say thank you in the multitude of ways you've called us to in life. And so we do pray that you provide for us our daily bread, those things we need in order to glorify you, to serve you, to honor you, to reflect Christ. We also pray, uh, as you're, you've taught us to pray, concerning um, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, the importance and necessity for uh, reconciliation with you, but also we pray that you would enable us to live at peace with one another and those and especially that we are in conflict with. We pray also, O oh Lord, as, as we mentioned earlier, that we're, this world is at war with you, that we are called to be soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision of, to the flesh, to be a good soldier. And so we pray, O oh Lord, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so we look to you for provision, for victory, you have won the victory. We are in a mopping up operation, yet there are many battles in that mopping up operation. Battles against the world, the flesh, and the devil. <coughs> Deliver us, O Lord, we pray. Enable us to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Enable us, O Lord, to stand. Not only to walk in Jesus, but to stand in him. And so we do lift up to you the many prayer requests that are found here in the bulletin that relate to that. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings of uh, um, seeing you bring uh, another pastor. You've ordained him, uh, David, Pastor David, and we ask your blessing upon him as he serves and, uh, and uh, fulfills his calling. We pray for others, the need uh, in um, the church for pastors now, we, we know of many pulpits in the RCUS and in other churches that are in need of men after your own heart. We pray you'd raise them up and train them. We pray for the seminaries, professors, the students, uh, as they are training to do so, and we ask for your blessing upon them. Again, we pray for the mission works of the RCUS, and in particular, we lift up to you uh, the group that is now gathering in Weezer, Idaho, and we ask your blessing upon them, in particular, upon um, Derek Reese, 
uh, as he is received in, as his family is received into our church today, and also for the other families as they are pursuing uh, that also, um, that we would see a church there. We pray for a pastor to be raised up for that group as well. We lay before you the many needs. We, we know that there are a number of people that are not here today because of sickness, uh, sick kids or so. And so we ask, O oh Lord, for your mercy and healing and help in this time, uh, this time of uh, flu season, if you will, and other uh, things that happen as the weather's change and as different things um, come up. We pray, O oh Lord, for mercy, merciful healing. We thank you. Are, you are the great physician, and you're able to heal either uh, through natural means, ordinary providence, or supernaturally, extraordinary providence. And so we pray you would intervene, heal, strengthen, help. We do pray for reconciliation and peace. We lay these things and many other prayer requests that we have on our hearts, and we pray that prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, let us close our... Our, uh, our time together, uh, rejoicing in the foundation of the church, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. And so turn with me to 404. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. He, she is his new creation by water and the word. Let's sing.
great church victorious. Those that have gone on. So what are we? Well, we're the church militant. At least that's the way the theologians call us. We're the church at war. The church is at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we all are too. It talks about going and being in the church victorious in heaven when we're all together. But right now, we have a job to do. So receive now... God's blessing as he sends us down from the mountain, from the holiness, the holy presence of God in heaven, to go out into the world to live the gospel, to preach the gospel of peace. Receive the empowerment, the grace of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you, to lift up his countenance upon you and to give you his shalom, his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.